Welcome to the fight with Teddy Atlas. I'm Ken Rideout, joined as always by legendary boxing trainer, the great Teddy Atlas. Today's episode is brought to you by Cameo. Check out Cameo.com where you can get a personalized message from none other than the great Teddy Atlas. Episodes also brought to you by the goodfightgroup.com, which means that we have none other than the great Dustin Poirier, the diamond, joining us today. He's the founder of the Good Fight, the Good Fight uh, Foundation, and it's an honor to have him here today. Dustin, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, man. It's good to be here with you guys. Good seeing you, Dustin. You know, just as you were being introduced, I'm in New York, and... We started getting a thunderstorm as soon as you started uh, being introduced. I guess that's your way of coming into uh, <laughs> uh, coming into vision and what you do. It's uh, it it kind of evokes uh, energy and uh, thunder. Uh, I, I was wondering. I was worried that the thunder was going to disrupt the <laughs> the service that we had it was funny just the second that he says dustin poirier bang i had a bunch of thunder over here but congratulations speaking of thunder i, I don't think you guys go anywhere without thunder i think that like uh follows you guys around um you guys are very special and congratulations on another special fight and another special win against uh hooker uh i i, I want to before i give it to ken to to kind of get us started i just want to not only thank you for coming but thanks for teaching us because that's what you guys do good fighters do it too um but you guys teach us you teach everybody where where you can go uh and where there should, there doesn't have to be limits to where you go. Uh, there doesn't have to be, you know, a ceiling on where you can perform at, especially, obviously, at a mental level. Uh, being able to just, just being able to get to the places that you guys wind up getting yourselves to. So. You, you not only give us drama and good theater, something to watch, good sport, but you do. You teach us that you can find light in dark places uh, and you can kind of take that journey. And uh, I think we can take it with you and imagine how much farther we can go in some of the things that we do. So I just want to tell you that. I appreciate that, man. That means a lot. And I'm, you know, finding out myself as I'm in there uh, what I have to give and how far I can go. I, I, I know I know, I can trust myself to, to push through when times get rough. But at the same time, you know, I, I am finding out a lot about myself every time out. Hey, Dustin, just to piggyback off of that, I know my world. I know the world of fighting. And boxing fighting it's all the same it's parallels it's just, we're in the same world um the gloves are different the rules are different but the goal is the same to to find out where you to find out to push the limits 
to to be able to live up to a standard, a code. And I know that cataclysmic, um, dramatic events can form us. I, I mean, I know that from my own experience. I know that from my business. They and and a lot of times there are events that nobody hears about. You know, you you hear about the progression of becoming a fighter, just like becoming a football player, a baseball player, a basketball player, at uh, at a certain level, a musician, getting karma, getting more experience, you know, getting better. But sometimes, besides that journey, that is a journey of progression that just automatically takes us to those better places from going through whatever it is we're doing. Sometimes something happens. There's an event. I, I know it happens in my business and even in my life, but where one event can change the world, can, can turn everything around. It makes you realize what you can do, but maybe better put, it makes you realize that things don't control you that it's your choice of what you do. Has that ever happened to you? Um, I'm sure a lot of things added up to make me the guy, you know, just lessons over the years and years of fighting and years and years of just living that made me get to this point. But, um, you know, I can't say I had really one eureka moment where everything turned around for me. But for sure, a big part of my progressing and fighting for me is sitting back and realizing that fighting is just part of my life. Um, you know, it used to be everything to me. It used to be life or death every time I walked out there, every time I thought about it, what the critics said. I was, you know, I'd overthink everything everyone said. And, and then, you know, after a certain point, it was just, this is just fighting. This is just part of my life. This isn't everything I have to offer. And when I put it in those kind of perspectives, when I think about me being a father, me being a husband, me being, fighting's going to stop one day. You know, it really helps me out when I get in there. I can have a lot more fun with this. It feels like the weight's off my back, and I can really, I feel like fight to my full potential. Um, you know, because fighting is stressful, but it just takes a little bit of that off of me. It really does. This is just something I do. You know, Dustin, I was just wondering if there was one fight that I'm going to tell you what's in my mind. There was a kid uh, coming up years ago in the gym good good fighter but when he he was at an early stage and he was in a workout with a really good fighter and he got dropped in the gym and there was nobody in the gym it was only him and his coaches coach of the other guy the coach of him and the other guy was more experienced and he dropped him again and then nobody stopped it. Nobody said, okay, it's too much. We'll come back tomorrow. It just kept going on. And finally, I know this sounds crazy to most people, but he realized that he didn't have to get dropped anymore, that he was allowing himself to be dropped, that he was, that he was in his control what happened, that he was allowing it to happen. And from that day forward, he never got dropped again. <laughs> he never got 
he he never allowed himself to give in to that impulse of giving in. Do you, does that make sense? It does. It makes a lot of sense. And I was just wondering if you ever had a fight, you know, early on or whatever point in your career that you just realized in that fight maybe that, hey, I, I control what happens. I, I, I sometimes don't realize what I can endure or what I can handle. And realize that all of a sudden, bang, I, I, I can freaking handle this. I, I know it sounds so simplistic, but, you know, I, I sometimes use the story with George Foreman when he fought the great Muhammad Ali. And he caved in, to be honest. He caved in in the eighth round. And he, he got hit a right hand. He went down. But he, he, there was a level of submission. He learned in that fight, because when he came back years later, he was older, he was bigger, he wasn't as fast, he wasn't as athletic, but he was a lot better. He, was, he would have kicked the crap out of the first George Foreman. He would have spanked him because he was tougher. He, he understood that on that night he gave up control. It wasn't ripped out of like a kung fu movie where you go into yeah and you, you know you go into the guy's chest and you take his heart out and you hold it in your hand. That that was it was this it was it was in here it was in here that that he really believed that he no longer had control over what he did. Ali had it, and it wasn't true. That's all. I know exactly what you mean. I and I go through moments like that in training camp every training camp where I'm there and I have a bad round of sparring or I'm there and I have a bad wrestling session. And then I kind of on the way on the drive home or on the drive back to the gym the next day, I'm like, uh, today I'm not showing up to be a part of a training session. I'm showing up to, to thrive. I'm showing up to I set milestones and I, and I make my intention before I walk into the gym and I don't let that happen that day. And, and when, when I do set my mind like that, it's huge. It's, it's, a, it's a completely different uh, thing we're doing in there when I'm there in the moment. I felt like your career maybe, and I have to credit Ariel Hawani beat me to the punch today with your interview, but I had been meaning to ask you if you thought that your career seemed to take a different, not trajectory, but I feel like your demeanor and personality and kind of your whole presence in the ring, for me, changed a little after the Conor McGregor fight. I feel like as, as tough of a loss as it was, I feel like you got much better after that in every fight since then. Even the Khabib fight, I was like, man, this kid is... He's bringing it. And prior to the Conor fight, I would think like, oh, he, it's, Dustin is a steady fighter. Now when I see you fight, I think like, this kid can easily win the title. He's, he's the real deal. Is there any truth to that? Yeah, 100%. I just overread. I overthought about it. I cared too much. I mean, not, not that I don't now. I just cared so much that it felt like one mistake was going to be the end of my career, the end of my fighting career, the end of my... Every, all the years I've put in before that was going to be washed away if I lost this fight. I just read everything the critics were saying. I listened to everything Connor said in the lead up. Um, I, I read comments from fans on, on social media. I just did all the stuff you shouldn't do. And, and, and it took me out of who I am. And, and then it's heartbreaking. I feel like you could almost see a version of that happen in the hooker fight because, uh, and we could get into some of the details of the fight, but I thought the first and second round that he probably edged that slightly. Um, 
not not overwhelming. I thought the second round was going well, and right at the end of the second round, my God, he caught you with like 10 punches in a row, and I started to feel like, oh, man. But as soon as the bell rung, you kind of shook your head like, let's get back in there and get to like, I really believed like, oh, he shook that off. Whereas someone else, I might think, oh, no, this is going the wrong way. And you turned it like the whole fight around in in between the second and third round. Can you talk about a little bit like about what you were thinking at the end of that round and what you told yourself to get back on to, to right the ship? Because it was a dramatic change of momentum in the third round. Yeah. You know, I have a great corner. Uh, my boxing coach, Daya Davis, is very calm, level-headed, speaks very well to me, very clearly in between rounds. And he, he told me I'm being lazy, um, getting hit with shots I shouldn't be getting hit with. And, uh, you know, even in those first two rounds, I felt pretty good, but he was edging me out. You know, he, he was winning the rounds. Like you said, at the end of the second, he hit me with a few good shots and hit me with a knee that really hurt, hurt me. And then when I went to sit back on the stool, I knew I had a long, a lot of fight left. And I also know that the better fighter wins the longer the fight goes. And I just knew I was going to pull it, pull it together. I knew I was going to find my rhythm, find my range, and start landing the shots we needed to land. Um, my goal to go out that into this fight was to match his patience. I thought that's one of his best weapons. Uh, the guy has great patience, doesn't force things and put himself in bad positions, being overzealous. That's a superpower that he has, patience. Very simple. Very uh, overlooked. He's just patient. He lets these guys make mistakes, and he capitalizes. It might not be in the first round. It might be in the third, but he lets you make mistakes, and he stays patient. Um, and that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to match that with him, show him that I've been in there in the fourth, in the fifth rounds more than him. I'm, I'm more seasoned, and I can be patient when things get really uncomfortable. And I knew that there was going to be a tipping point in the fight where I started to pull away. And when I did that, I, I didn't think he would be able to catch up. And I think that's what happened. Every round, I was just – shifted into a gear that he didn't have. He was maxed out. And I pulled away each round. I shifted into another gear each round. And he, he just could not keep up the speed, keep up the the work. Dustin, I agreed that um I thought you lost the first two rounds. I thought you were winning the second. And then as Ken said, uh it got away from you. I thought I thought Hooker did a little bit of a sugar ray let it what he did on Marvin Hagley stole around uh, a little bit, you know. It's a trick for fighters that that uh, you can steal around. You know, the judges remember that more than they remember the beginning of the round, so or the middle of the round. So I felt a little bit like that actually when I was watching it. And there's a thin line sometimes between being patient and being a slow starter, and Sometimes you got to balance that. Uh, sometimes you seem to get started out of the gate a little slow. Is that fair? Uh, I, I mean, I respect your opinion. I think sometimes at I, least that night. Yeah. Okay. For sure. Definitely that night. That night, because I've definitely yeah. come out guns blazing too early before as well. Uh, it's a fine balance, and I feel like it's ever evolving. You know, every fight is different. Every. Uh, yeah, it's a constant balance that I'm trying to find, man. It just seemed that night, listening to your talk, that everything is mental in this business and in my business. And it just seemed that you might have been thinking about being patient and it it kind of it kind of morphed into something else, into wait getting into a slow start. That that it 
it took you there without meaning to take you there because the intention was the right intention to be under control. Uh, I, I agree with you. 80% to me, at least 75, 80% of this business that we do is mental. Yeah. That everybody has talked, not, not what I'm going to say, but everyone has talked about the element or the lack of the element of the fans now with the COVID virus. And for me, I mean, you perform brilliantly, especially down the stretch. And I'm just wondering if a guy like you, all these gladiators, if, if it helps in a way, I know most people are going to say, Teddy, what the hell are you talking about? But most people think it's a negative. I look at it as that it could be a positive because it removes the, some of the emotional element. You know, we have enough emotional freaking elements to deal with, <laughs> you know, where 80% of it is that. And now you take the fans out of it, you make it colder, you make it, you make it quiet, you make it just what it has to be. And, and in some ways, you remove some of the imagination because the imagination is what does all the damage to people in my business. Is that it, it makes you start thinking, this could happen, that could happen. There's no ceiling, there's no control. But the reality of what can happen, there is control. It could only be this or this. It, it can't be more than that. That's the reality of it. And the imagination. So some of that emotional stuff, I feel, might be removed with no audience. And it just becomes, here we are, something I've done before, something I've prepared for my whole life. That's all it is. It's nothing else. That makes sense. It does. And you're bullseye, man. You're head on. If, if I can fight the rest of my career with no crowd, I would do it. That's how focused and good I felt. It felt pure. It felt like I was walking into a, a sparring session in the gym with my coaches. Of course, the butterflies and the emotions are there because you're about to fist fight someone. But it's a completely different thing. It's a completely different thing from the walkout, from the warm-up, uh, from standing across and looking at my opponent. It felt more pure. It felt like, my, like we were the only guys in there. And we were going to find out who... who Who's better right now? And I feel like I'm better than these guys. So it was just, I felt in my element. If I can fight this way, I would do it for the rest of my career. That's what I was wondering if you would say that. Um, I, my instinct told me that that was something that was, you know, that was real. Um, what I was sensing. Because, again, the imagination the pressure before fight. I always say the hardest part of a fight is the waiting, because you're sitting there and, you, and, and you're imagining what could happen, and and it, and the imagination is like I, I joke around. I say it's like ninjas coming over the wall. I mean, they're coming over that wall, and you got to keep them from coming off. You got to say, "Stay the hell out of here, get out of here," and it's all emotion. It's all imagination. It's all mental. And I just thought that being in that vacuum, I guess that's the right way to say it, um, you kind of 
pulled a lot of that stuff out. Big time. You know, like you said, I have a big imagination, man. So it never stops. The wheels never stop turning. I, uh, I'm trying my best as I move forward in my career to not overthink this, but it's just, it's impossible for me because I think so much and I do care about this so much. Um, and I know no matter how much I prepare, how much I studied, that there's a chance that I, I might lose. It, it, everything could go right and I can still go out there and lose because it is the theater of the unknown under those lights out there. And I know that. And I, I've, I've won fights. I've lost fights when I was 100% prepared. I know anything could happen out there. So just that unknown is what really gets those butterflies, gets me overthinking in the locker room. Um, you know, I can do 10 weeks of training camp and kill it and crush it every day, check all the boxes and show up on fight night and still like, oh man, I don't know what's gonna happen out there. I'm gonna, do, I'm gonna give it my all every time, you know? And, and that, that never goes away. But not having the fans there, took a little bit of that edge off. It 100% did. It's a fragile business. I, I know that you guys are the toughest son of a bees in the universe. I have nothing but respect for you uh, and, and fighters in my business at that level. But it's a funny word to call with such tough people fragile. But it's a fragile business because you can get in the freaking locker room most of the fans out there listening right now, I, I'm not knocking you. You just haven't done it. You, you're probably saying, what is he talking? But you can get in the locker room and you can lose. You go, and no punches were thrown. Not one punch was thrown. And you, and you can lose. So the mental side of it, I want to add one thing here, Dustin. I know in my business, I want to get a fighter calm where he can see more. Calm in an uncalm place. Calm in a place where there's fire. It's, it's not a natural thing. It's not. I mean, usually nature tells you to get the hell out of there when there's something dangerous. Not to go into it. So here you are. You're in there, and you got to be calm in an uncalm place where you can see instead of one way to hit them, you can see ten ways to hit them with 10 different punches, and you, and you come. But at the same time, here we go now. Here's the fine line. You don't want to get comfortable. Because if you get comfortable, I know people are going to say, what are you, out of your mind? You just said you got to be comfortable. Now you say you can't be comfortable. But I want you to address it. Because if you get comfortable, well, it would be like being a lion tamer. And you're in the cage with a lion. You want to be calm. Most people can't be calm, but you, you're trained to be calm and, and so you can see what the lion's doing, but at the same time, you can't get comfortable because it's a lion. Yes. Those nerves and those nerves and those feelings never go away. You know, they, you just, when they come, you, you're just more acquainted with them. You, there they, you acknowledge them when you feel it in the locker room for me. When they come in and they say, you're walking in five minutes, and I can hear the people outside, I can see fighters coming back in from the, from the battlefield, I can see they're bloodied and, and you know, their, their teammates carrying them back to the locker room. All this is happening before you make the walk yourself, knowing that you're walking into the unknown, right? Knowing that you have to be brave in this moment, you've prepared and now you have to take that step out the door and walk in front of all those people and fight this man who's been training to beat you up. You know, that, that's, a, a, it's, an, it's a weird 
uncomfortable calm that, that I do feel because I know that I can count on myself because I've proven it time and time again. I, I know I can write this ship if this thing gets ugly in there. I, I have that confidence in, in my fighting ability and in myself to be resilient, to, to push through when adversity presents itself, to find the opening. I know that. It's like, the, it's like a hurricane. When you're in the middle of that thing, it's calm, right? But if you take one step outside of that box, it's, it's chaos. The winds are everywhere. The crowd's chanting. The people are saying, you suck. Uh, you hear his cornerman. It's, it's a crazy storm going on. And after I've progressed in my career, I have 43 fights now. I won't even use the word easy. It's not easier. The feelings inside the eye of that storm, there's a fine line where you step over and, and you can lose that, 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 that moment you need to be in, that focus, that all those things are your, your friend. Those feelings are your friend, and I'm acquainted with them now at this point in my career. They're uncomfortable, and they make me feel you know, nervous, and they make me feel scared, and they make me feel all these crazy emotions. But at the same time, I'm like, when I do feel that, I'm like, there you are again. It's almost time to do it. We're about to, we're about to do something great. If I don't feel that, I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know what's going on. I've never not felt it, so I need that. That's what keeps me in the moment. That's what, it's, it's like a drug, man. That's what I mean when I say you guys teach people. And I was hoping that this conversation could teach people that the fear is good. It's needed. Even the gladiators like you guys, that a lot of people think that you're born, you know, devoid of that. You're not. You're not. It's just that you learn to use it. You learn to control it. You learn to live with it. You learn to make it be your friend. You learn to make it work for you. And I, I just thought that's a lesson that people could kind of gain um, from just from watching a person like you and hearing a person like you talk as honestly as you fight about that, yeah, there's fear there. And without it, I'd be screwed. You know, I, I don't let it control me. I control it. I use it. And... That's all. I just wanted to get that out there for the people. One of the things that I noticed, Dustin, to the to your point of being calm, was in between I, maybe the third and fourth, you and uh, your coach Mike Brown having a real light moment, and you said, "How's my hair?" And I just remember thinking, "All the chaos." And um, they did. I saw a special on UFC put together in the last couple of days, where. Um, he said, like, oh, he's getting tired. And you were like, yeah, yeah, I can tell. I can feel it. And and that, for me, highlighted everything you guys just talked about is that level of awareness and being totally calm that you could feel the shift that as fans, we could, most people could see, like, oh, you could see the momentum shifting. Hooker is still dangerous, but he's tired. And Dustin is, like, starting to pour it on now. Talk to me about how you were feeling and what Mike Brown had to say and, like, maybe about your relationship with Mike and how you guys balance each other out. Cause I thought it was like, you guys are perfect complement to each other. Yeah. He's a student of the game. He's a, you know, obviously a, a head coach at a huge, very successful, one of the biggest mixed martial arts gyms in the world, but he is a student of the game. And uh, I just respect his outlook on fighting and his eagerness to like keep as been coach multiple champions and he's still out there looking things up, breaking down footage, trying to find new techniques. You know, he's just such a great coach and he's a world champion himself, you know, fought for his whole, fought for a long time. He's a former world champion himself. So he knows the feelings that we, that we're talking about right now. And uh, 
even that week, Mike, that day of the fight, Mike told me, he said, you know, that's, we were talking about the feelings because I'm pretty open with it, especially with my coaches. He was saying, uh, that's what he misses least about the fight. My mentor, Customano, who I think was the smartest guy in boxing, but that's my own opinion. Of course, I'm going to think that he was my mentor, and, but he was pretty damn smart. He used to say, Teddy, if it wasn't for the waiting in the locker room and the night before, too, the waiting uh, of what's coming, he said, for some people, it's like, it's like getting ready for the electric chair. He said, yeah, I mean, you know, and, and he said, if it wasn't for that part, there'd be a lot more fighters. There'd be a lot more people doing this because they, they, they can't handle that part. That is the most difficult part of what we do. Yeah, it, it's difficult. But also, man, how much of a tragedy is that? Is it that one day you walk away from it and you never feel that feeling again? Yeah, and do it as long as you can do it. Uh, that's why you got to embrace it because there's something special about that, man. There really is something special. Speaking of that, doing it as long as you can do it. When's enough enough? You're in a tough business. I've always had 35 in my head. Uh, you know, I still I'm 31 now. I feel good. We'll see. But I don't want to give. I, I, like I said in the aerial interview, I don't want to give this sport um, more of myself than I can give my family. I don't want to lose something that I can't get back. And when, and we don't know when that, when that line is crossed, we don't know. So I just want to keep continue working on my defense. I want to be defensively responsible every time I step on the mat, you know, last, last weekend wasn't the greatest showing of that. I, I took a lot of shots. I took a lot of pictures, waited for my receipt. <laughs> and, and uh, there's another lesson learned, you know, I, I'm, I'm better than that. My coach told me between rounds, told me after the fight, same thing you said. You're better than that. You're better than this guy. You're fighting on his level. You're, in, you're admiring your own work. Just because I like the shot. No, I, no posing. Exactly, man. No. I'm in there taking Instagram pictures. You know, <laughs> I, uh, I always say that when you get two tough guys, you know, it's a prerequisite in your business and my business to be tough. Then there's levels of toughness. There's tests that you go through to find out. Just like, you know, no different than in life. You, you find out of people about people through tests. Some pass this test, some they can't pass that test. And it's for me, fighting is life. It's the same thing. And you know, and you go, you go, you take a fighter. And like I said, it's a prerequisite to be tough. But, but to what level? To what test? To, to where do you drop off? But then when you have two guys who are comfortably the same, same toughness, and one, and this is what we're talking about, Dustin, and your coach is talking about, and one of them is smarter, you know, technically in all those areas, he's smarter. He suddenly goes here. He becomes twice as tough as the other guy. People say, what do you mean, Ted? You just said they're both just as tough. Yeah, I know what I said. But this guy who's also smart becomes twice as tough because he doesn't have to depend just on the toughness. He doesn't have to go to that 
all the time. He doesn't even have, it's there for him. It's always there. But his cleverness, his ability to be technically more sound, smarter, separates him from a guy who's just tough. And I would think that that's your quest and your coach's quest. Yes, yes. The toughness is something I, we know that I have. It's not something I want to display every time out. This is something that I need to keep for, for, for myself when I absolutely need it, not to walk out there and show the world how tough I am. That's, that's not the sport I want to fight. I, I want to show how skilled I am, how much levels up I am. I want to, I want to outclass these guys. The fight that I always use as an example, I know you're young, too young, maybe you don't remember, but there was a great, there was a fighter named Danny Little Red Lopez. He was a, oh, he was a featherweight champ. He could punch with the right hand and he was tough as nails. What a tough son of a gun. Undefeated, mostly knockouts. And then he fought a guy that nobody really knew who the guy was at the time guy named Salvador Sanchez. And to me, Sanchez is one of the great fighters, maybe maybe of all time, but definitely of, of our generation. And he died too young. He died in a car crash. But he, he fought Lopez for Lopez's title. And Sanchez was so much what you're talking about, more clever and cunning, smart, that it was no contest. I mean, it broke my heart. I was a young guy. I'm watching Indian Red Lopez, and I'm saying, come on, Danny. Yeah. And, but it was right there in front of you. As tough as he was, the other guy was tougher because he was separating himself with his technical knowledge, with his sophistication, with, with just being smarter. And it was a no contest. And that's... I don't know if you ever watched those guys, but that's the fight. You should Google it. That's the fight. I will. Yeah, it really is because you know the resume of, of Red Lopez going in. You know, okay, I'm watching a legitimate tough man. And then you see the fight and you say, it doesn't mean a darn thing. Right. <laughs> and Dustin, I, 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 we're not going to let you go without talking about the Good Fight Foundation, but a couple of um, the questions that we got on social media. I just wanted to ask you two quick questions. Who would you like to fight next is one of the questions. And of all the guys that you fought to date, who hit the hardest? Those are questions from fans on uh, Twitter. The, uh, who I want to fight next is whoever. I want to fight the champion next. I want to fight whatever fight gets me into the arena to fight for the title. I just want to be the undisputed world champion. Whatever fight that I need to go through or whatever route I need to go to make that happen, that's my number one goal and priority, to be the undisputed world champion. And who hits the hardest, man, is, is a tough one. I've been hit by some, some big punchers uh, throughout the years, but I, I would have to say Conor. Yeah, McGregor, of course, Southport, the same as you, and, uh... You know, talented, obviously a talented guy, a talented puncher. Is there a fighter in boxing that you, I'm sure you admire a lot of them when you look at them in your business, but that you admire his style, his technique, whatever it is about him, but maybe that you 
you watch uh, to pick up some of the striking, you know, stuff that you obviously are going to take into the ring? There's a bunch of guys that I, I like to watch, but I often spend a lot of time watching uh, Penel Whitaker. Well, you talk about being smart. Start moving your head like him, will you, please? <laughs> I, need to, I need to work on my dance moves, man. <laughs> He had he had good dance moves. So sweet P was sweet. He was a great kid. He was a great. He really was. He was a terrific kid. But um, what a he really was sweet uh, in a lot of ways. Boy oh boy, he died too incredible, young. Incredible, but incredible. Dustin, you're picking the right guy. Um, the the old times would say he'd stand right in front of you and you couldn't hit him in the backside with a handful of buckshot. Right. Uh, I mean, so you, I'm, I'm, I'm glad to hear that guy. I mean, you just made me kind of happy when you, when you mentioned him, I feel good. Uh, I'm, I'm a little surprised, but I'm, that's the, I look at Southport too. I see the connection, but that's the guy. I mean, to move your head, to be smart, to be calm inside the storm, to be, to be in the, the eye of the storm. He could. He was the perfect example of that. Oh my God, he was the perfect example of that. He stayed right inside the pocket, right inside the eye of the storm, and see everything and be calm and be able to punch inside it. I I saw you do a little something in the fight. I saw you. Hooker was throwing, and he stayed there a little too long. That's one of the sciences of boxing. There's so many elements of the science of striking. So many, but. One of them is the one we talked about, moving after your last punch. Don't don't wait for a receipt, you know, whatever you want to call it. But another one is being calm enough and understanding that everyone loves to say, throw more punches, throw 100 punches, move your hands, throw, come on, get busier, throw more punches. But that can be the worst thing in the world sometimes. You got to know how many you have time for. Do I have time for three? Do I have time for five? Maybe I only have time for one. I better move. Because if you stay there for one too many, you can get time. You did that to Hooker. I watched you. I watched you where he stayed there a little too long. He was getting his hands off. He stayed there probably probably one punch too long. And you timed it. Right in the middle of that, you pow, pow, pow. You came right back as you were still there in the center a little too long punching. And you timed it. And that was a, I just wanted to tell you that I, I saw that. I appreciated that. I, I saw the science of it. It wasn't the toughness of it. It was the science that you realize he stayed there too long and you could catch him if you had punched at the right time with him. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. I'm becoming a trainer. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> There's those beautiful moments in the fight where, you, like you said, you stay too long or take – another step when you should it and a guy can split your timing and get away with a clean shot skate free just just hit and move out of there and uh you did have to work for him yeah you, it's very true it's just like so true it's just like being a good counter puncher you know if you got what's aggressive people say oh wow this guy's aggressive you better be careful but if he's recklessly aggressive you know, without what we're talking about, he's doing all he's doing your work for you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Walk in. Walk in. Bop, bop, bop. Oh, good. Thank you. So that's I mean, there's so many dimensions 
that separate guys in his business. And we're talking about it. As much as it's so easy to talk about the toughness of you guys, but it's the other elements too. That's the science of it. One of the guys that's uh, probably going to be disappointed to hear you didn't mention him in terms of uh, in terms of boxers is uh, the great Irish Mickey Ward. I know he's a huge fan of yours, and uh, maybe you take Pernell Whitaker's defensive technical skills with Mickey Ward's toughness. I know Mickey really appreciates your uh, fighting style, and he had a lot of nice things to say about your recent effort against Hooker. Man, I'm such a fan of that guy. Um... Just, uh, you know, he's one of the guys I respect Mickey's Mickey's career more than a guy who, who's never lost a fight, more than a guy who's 50 and 0. I, I feel like there's lessons you learn when you get, you know, those losses in your career and keep pushing. And that's what fighting is to me. Mickey Ward losing these fights, people calling him a journeyman and getting involved in, in the best trilogy in, in boxing history. You know, one of the one of the best trilogies in boxing. You know, the guy's done so many things well. I really like this guy, man. I I really am a fan. One of the meanest liver shots, tough as they come. I actually have uh, the picture I got from it. We had signed, and um, I'm framing that. I actually just went to a sports memorabilia place and and got a, a a Gotti signature as well. So I'm framing this together where they belong, Mickey and Gotti, and. Uh, one of my buddies writes for Ring Magazine, and they're doing the Gotti Award. Uh, I forget how many years it's been, but it, the uh, anniversary had just passed. So the Ring Magazine is doing doing a special for them, and uh, they're sending me one of the Ring Magazine copies, and I'm framing that in there with it as well. So I'm really excited about that, man. It's going to be in my my game room at my house, and I'm gonna. These guys belong next to each other. What they did for each other's careers, and it's just it's beautiful, man. Yeah, that's great. And Ken's not telling you. It's part of its admiration for Mickey and his toughness and where he got to, which I have tremendous amount of admiration and respect for Mickey and the person that he is. But Ken is also motivated because the guy comes from Boston. And <laughs> <laughs> anybody who comes from Boston, uh, Ken is going to give a little extra love. Uh, to You know, Dustin, you mentioned Mickey's... Uh, signature punch the left hook to the liver which was pretty damn good but to me i always look at the setup system to it you know where he would touch up top real quick just kind of almost light he touched up top pop pop and then he'd bring it right down pop pop and then he'd bring it right just enough to raise your elbow just a little bit where he could get that punch in so again here's a tough guy and we're talking about his toughness obviously but his intellect his smarts allowed that punch to be so effective exactly i mean exactly it's it's the the, the shot up top that brings the arms up that opens the liver it's the subtleties in between of the power shot a lot of these guys are tough and are, and are and can punch but if you can't Makes make make you make mistakes or set traps. Those hard punches mean nothing. And like you talked about earlier, there's so much to this business. I mean, we're we're, we're making that pretty available right now. But again, it's it's the intellect, the technique, 
It's the toughness, the mindset, and it's the ability to be calm in an uncalm place. Here's a guy, Mickey Ward, gets hit, you know, he got hit, punches, and in the midst of a difficult fight, I mean, an incredibly difficult fight, he's able to still keep his wits, not panic. I mean, there's an ability to that. There's, there's, there's a tangible ability, a developed ability, a genius, if you will. Yeah, I'll say it again. Yeah, I'm not afraid to say it. A genius that you guys can stay calm in a completely uncalm freaking place. And, and still keep your wits where in the midst of that storm, you can think in the terms that you have to think to turn it around. That's special. You said it perfectly again, a developed skill. You don't do that by accident. You don't, you don't do that because you were just born that way. You do that, you develop that. You, you developed to stay in the eye of that storm and find that opening. And that's, that's what people can learn just with you. That I always say on ESPN, I would always say, punches are born. They're not made. You have that power. You're born with that natural. You could develop, you could increase it by technique and being calmer, where you time the guy at the right time. They don't see the punch coming and improve it. No, no doubt about it. But as far as that pure power that only certain people have, that's born. That's not made. But what is made is what you're talking about. Developing the person's character. Developing that mindset. That toughness. That ability. People think, oh, he was just born with heart. Well, what is heart? What is heart? I mean, the real definition of heart, it's a muscle in your chest. But in the way that we talk about it, it's, that's not how we talk about it. It's your ability to make choices, your ability to make decisions, your ability to go where other people don't go, your ability to endure, your ability to find a way. That, and all the people listening out there, look at this man, listen to this man. That can be developed. No, no, I'm going to change it. That has to be developed. It has to be developed. Speak about that. Yeah, I mean, you said it earlier. I'm, I'm trying to. You said something earlier that that ties into this. But fighting is life. What did you go through in your life? What have you overcome to put you in this place that allows you to give more than this man? To push, push harder, to dig deeper, to suffer more. I use that word fight week that I that I plan to suffer more than this guy because I've been there before and I know I can overcome those positions and those those rounds, those first two rounds, I can suffer more, you know, I, I just can, I know that, but I don't know, I wasn't born that way, I don't know what moments of my life led to that um, strength, but I have it, and I know it, and I don't want to show it, because if I show it, I'm, I'm, it's, a, it's, it's a tough fight, but I know I can rely on that, Sa I have a safety net that I can count on of toughness and of grit that has been developed over fighting, and over my life, you know, fighting is life. And, and I'll show you that I've been down before and then I know I can come up again. That's, that's what I'm doing in those rounds. One of, one of the greatest qualities, traits, abilities, I believe that a human being can have 
in whatever they do is to have the ability to be dependable. You know, we all look at the neon talents, you know, the speed, the, the power, you know, all that stuff. We, I mean, it catches our attention. I get it. I understand. And, you know, it's, it's kind of important. But that ability is an ability that doesn't matter what your genetics are. Some people have better genetics. Let's be honest. They do. But that doesn't matter. That's something everybody can get and become dependable. And that's a great quality. And that's why in boxing and MMA, it's tougher to stay at the top than it is to get there. Because those other things you talked about, speed, genetics, that'll get you to the dance. But, but grit, uh, open mind, learning, the want to, to continue to evolve, that's what keeps you there. That's what keeps you, that's what keeps you at the dance, man. 100%. Speaking of some of the intangibles, let's talk about uh, intangibles. Let's let's speak quickly about the Good Fight Foundation, and that's another thing that you and Teddy have in common. You guys are actually very similar in a lot of ways. Teddy is with the Doctor Atlas Foundation, but I want to talk to you about your um, the Good Fight Good Fight Foundation and what you guys are doing. Um, I know you had an event down in Lafayette, but maybe start just. For people who might not be aware of the foundation, maybe just a quick overview of how it got started and some of the work you guys have been doing. We've, uh, I mean, the things we've done, it, it's, the list goes on and on. Most recently, we uh, built water wells and, and in Africa, uh, bought the Pygmy Tribe, 42 acres of land. This last fight, we were raising money. We're using this uh, fight kit. I actually just listed it today. Um, the Good Fight Foundation shared it on all their social media, and I did as well. We auctioned off my fight-worn gear from every fight to go for it towards a cause, usually in the local community in Louisiana. And uh, we're going to do a back-to-school drive. You know, everyone's feeling the crunch of the, of the pandemic, and kids should have hot lunches at school and, and all the school supplies they need. And we're going to make sure that the kids in Lafayette, Louisiana, have that going back to school. So the sale of this fight kit is going to go towards our back-to-school drive. That's a great thing. Nice work. And for people who are interested, it's the goodfightgroup.com. You can find all the information there, like Dustin said, on his social media channels. You can find links to the bid. And uh, Rob and I will be submitting a bid today for those uh, for those gloves and make sure that they go for the right price. Um, but that's great work that you're doing. And, Teddy, I know you can relate to um, the kind of effort that it takes to uh, put your money where your mouth is and actually get involved in these types of grassroots foundations where you're actually – you don't have any overhead. You're on in there doing 90% of the work yourself, maybe with one or two full-time employees, but the rest of it is volunteer or uh, sweat equity from the people involved. Yeah, you know, I'm going to uh, – I mean, that's part of what I respect. So, you know, from Dustin without, but uh, I'm going to use another term, another, another word. I use the word dependable as a great, great, great trait um, that can get you to places that some people might have more talent than you, physical, genetic talent, but dependability can get you even past that talent. That's how important and magnificent that trait can be and is in life, in anything. And the word I use for, 
for Dustin and what it takes to be the kind of human being that he's talking about is the word care. Just care. <laughs> it's not much more complicated than that. You care about something, about people, about the situations, and then you figure out a way to do it. So I just want to tell you that my foundation is going to send a $3,000 check to your foundation uh, after we hang up, Dustin. And, uh, you know, I know it. Uh, I wish it was more, but it, it, it'll be used to help towards uh, the things you just talked about. Thank you so much, man. That That's a a huge donation that's going to go far and, and we appreciate it so much. No, thank you. You know, thank you for giving, I mean, I, when I started my foundation, one of the most important things once we got started was to know that we could identify the, the places to get the help to. That's pretty damn important. You know, it's kind of like I talk about everything being fighting, right? It's kind of like having power, but, if you don't know, have a target to deliver it to, what good is the power? So what good is the, the help that my foundation is there to give if I don't have the right target to get it to, the right place? So you give me that right place, one of those right places. So I just want to say thank you for that. Thank you. It means a lot. It really does. Hey, Dutch, I want to ask you one of the last things. Being that this business is so mental, you do sometimes need to attach yourself to, to something to go through that journey, through that dark place, through that fire, through that suffering. And, I mean, you could use a lot of words, you know, pride, you know, heart, you know, all those things. and. I look at you guys as guys that almost kind of belong to a fraternity, kind of like the Marines or the U.S. SEALs. I know you're not out on the battlefield, and I have all the – I mean, those guys are respected a special, 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 special place. I mean, they're out there, and there's a good chance they don't come home. I mean, you talk about nobility, being noble. You talk about honor. Oh, my – I mean, come on. I, you talk about, you know, giving of yourself. There's no more giving of yourself than to fight for the principles of your country, for other people uh, to keep those principles intact, to keep those freedoms intact, knowing that you truly are going to give everything. You're ready to give everything, not just sweat and blood, but everything. And, but when those guys go on the battlefield, I really believe that there's a connection to the code of honor that they exist with, with the men. Like part of it is not... Oh, one second, we lost Teddy. We'll reconnect here real quick. Hey, guys. Hey, we're good. I'm sorry. No, no worries. Firing all my uh, technical people here. <laughs> no, it, that happens to everybody. It can happen to anybody. So... Dustin, I think part of what allows those special, special men and women that fight for the things that I just talked about for this country and the freedoms of this country, for other people, um, 
I think it's connected to, as I said, a code of fraternity. The fraternity of the, you know, whether it's the U.S. SEALs, whether it's the Marines, whether it's the Army Rangers, the, the, the Green Berets, the, the whatever, whatever armed service, the, the Army, that they, they feel a responsibility to live up to that code. Um, I think that's part of the power. I think that's part of what they, they exist on that they attach themselves to. Maybe you could call it, some people say it's my legacy. I want to be remembered. You know, that that's a powerful thing. Um, but I believe that it's connected to that not letting down your fellow brotherhood, that this is what we are. This is how we behave. This is how we live. This is what we do. And I was just wondering if, there's part of that because you guys are so, you're so samurai, you're so warrior oriented that I was thinking about it last night when I knew I was going to talk to you. And I was thinking about that mentality has to be part of your, of what goes into your behavior, that you want to live up to that code, up to that, you know, what that fraternity is all about. Does that make sense? Yeah, it, it makes, it makes a lot of sense. And, uh, you know, when you, when you get to this point in fighting, whether it be mixed martial arts or boxing, once you hit this certain level that you, you have to, it's, it's exactly that it's, it's a fraternity. I'm representing him, but I'm also representing the sport. I'm representing combat sports. And the purity of that, and, and I and I wear that with you know I, I I honor that. Well, it shows. I mean, it shows there has to be. I'm in a business where, as a teacher, as a trainer, before obviously before being a fighter when I was young, but when you become a teacher, you have to be able to explain things, phenomena, behavior. You gotta you gotta put an attachment of explanation to it why does a guy behave that way why is a guy that way if you're going to be a good teacher you know yeah why is that guy behave that way why does he make those choices and for me that's why that's part of the why that that is there that it's it's you gain strength from beyond yourself people say how, how does a guy become like dustin poirier Really, how, how does a guy become that tough? And I think you draw from more than yourself. That when we, I'm trying to explain that, that we, that you, that you draw from the fraternity of people that do this, that have a code of honor, and that you don't want to betray that code. So if you feel weak, which we all do. I know you do sometimes. We all do. We're human. But then all of a sudden you can attach it to something else. You can say, I can't be weak. I can't be weak. Because if I'm weak, I let down all of this. I must be strong. I think in some ways that's where Ali got his strength from. 
He got his strength from whatever it happens to be. But part of his belief was his religion. I can't, I can't let down because then I'm letting down my religion. My religion is a lot bigger than me. I think sometimes guys like, I don't know, Pacquiao. When you've got a whole country of Filipinos that are really relying on you to show that they matter, that they exist, a, bunch of, a lot of poor people that are relying on you to say that their existence matters, that their life matters, that they're important, and they're attaching it to Manny Pacquiao, which, which happens. It happens in those kind of situations. I think a guy like Pacquiao grabs strength from that, power from that, resilience from that, endurance from that. Yeah, you're correct. And, and I feel in a certain way when I get in there, you know, on TV, it's just me and him in there. But I, I, I have so many people that I'm walking in there with that are depending on, on me to, to pull through those tough positions, those tough situations. Because and even with the foundation, like I know that when I get in there, when I get in there, I have, I'm using this platform to, to sell these fight kits or to raise money for a cause. All those people who know I'm raising this money are, are, are back home and I want to give them a reason to smile. And I can feel that. I can feel the power of gratitude and of what I'm fighting for when I'm in there. It, it's me against him, but it's also everything with me, you know, and in my younger career, it worked against me because I felt like I was fighting everything. It wasn't just my opponent. I felt like I was fighting all the other stuff. But somewhere along the line, I blocked. I learned how to kind of block out the bad stuff and the critics and just bring in the, the baggage that I need, the good baggage. Leave the bad stuff that weighs you down out and bring in the good stuff, the good feelings, what makes me feel good. And I bring that into the fight with me. I really do. I believe you. I believe you. To your point about the people that are with you, my wife will only watch fights occasionally with me, but that was one that she was pumped up. She would watch Alex Vosdick when Teddy and I were with them in Philly, and she watched that one with the kids. And, I mean, the, the whole family was going crazy for you, starting in that third round and building to a crescendo in the end. So um, well done to you. I want to be sensitive to your time. And I'm, I'm, I want to make sure Teddy doesn't have anything. But I wanted to just ask you a couple quick MMA questions, if you don't mind. Then you could just give me quick answers. Let's go. In the um, Khabib fight and then again in this hooker fight, a couple times you had them super tight in an arm in guillotine. And I was like, oh, he might get this. And I think that the announcers start to get into it. But maybe talk about how hard it is to get someone that in, in get someone in that choke in a fight versus in training. Cause I think in training, the relax, the, the feeling is like, Oh, that's pretty tight. I, I might hurt my neck trying to get out of this. So I'll tap. But in a fight, someone's like, nah, I'm not going to tap unless I'm out from this. Can you talk to me? What's going through your mind? Because it's so, it seems so close, but it always seems so hard to really finish it that way. It seems so close, but so far away. <laughs> I, uh, I finish it all the time in the gym in training, in practice. But like my co Mike Brown told me, don't jump another guillotine. I mean, we, <laughs> we gave up position in the Khabib fight that led, you know, it's just, he tells me all the time, don't do it. But I finish him in the gym. I finish him all the time in the gym. You know, nine out of 10, I probably finish in the gym. I have a good guillotine, but when, in the heat of the moment, but then again, we're talking about pra like Allen Iverson. We're yeah. talking about practice, not the sport that I would give my life to. We're talking about practice. 
and uh, it's a totally different thing. Under those lights, it's a totally different thing. These guys are fighting to the to the bitter end. Uh, there's blood and sweat. You know, it, it's just lesson learned. I, I won't do it again. Next fight, <laughs> I'm not jumping the guillotine. <laughs> uh I just going to give you a couple of names of fighters. Just quick thoughts. Justin Gaethje. I think I beat him again. I think I set traps, hit him with good shots. Uh, let him do half the work, being the wrecking ball and juggernaut that he is. Uh, let him be that guy, and I'll be the matador. I think I can do it again, as I did in the first fight. But we'll see. He's fighting Khabib next. I think he has the wrestling credentials to give Khabib a lot of trouble. If he can stick to the game plan and keep his back off the fence, keep his feet away from the fence and make it happen in the center of the octagon, if it happens there, I think he's going to win this fight. Interesting. Tony Ferguson. All heart, man. All heart. I think his technique and his uh, rhythm and his cadence is, is off. It's, it's, it's unusual. It's an unusual timing. His movements are, are unorthodox. Uh, he makes a lot of mistakes, but his belief in himself carries him through a lot of tough situations. And last one, Nate Diaz. A fighter's fighter. Uh, you know, I don't know the guy personally. We, we've had it, you know, words over social media before. Uh, we were supposed to fight once, but every time he fights, I'm going to tune in. And uh, there's something magnetic about his fighting style that is why he has the fan base and uh that he has but I, I, i'd love to fight him all right last last one jorge masvidal your teammates got a big one coming up he's in tough against usman usman's a minus 305 dollar favorite jorge's at plus 245 what are your thoughts on the fights short notice fights in abu dhabi a lot of variables here working against masvidal but what are your thoughts i mean obviously you're pulling for him like what should we look for in that one you know um it's a short notice because he wasn't, he didn't have the contract signed, but let me tell you what, this guy was there. My whole training camp was my main sparring partner. We probably put in five weeks of sparring together. He flew in wrestlers, the best wrestlers in the world. Um, I think they put him up and then the guys are there just for, for George, just for Masvidal to use. And the guy never stopped training. Even when the fight fell through and they gave it to Burns, it was at the end of my training camp. George was still in the gym every day like he had a fight i don't know if he knew something that we didn't but the guy was in training camp the whole time and never stopped i think he's going to surprise a lot of people with what the kind of shape he's in his timing is going to be good because he was in the he was in my camp the whole time you know um helping a few guys not just me he was helping a, a few guys he's in fight shape i know that much this isn't a guy coming off the couch this is a guy who was preparing to fight Usman, and the fight fell through and, and he kept training you know I, like i said i don't know if he just had a premonition had a feeling, but he was in the gym nonstop. So I'm excited for him. He's a good guy and a pioneer of mixed martial arts. So it's great to see him get these opportunities. You you just made that line in Vegas drop. <laughs> We're gonna get our bets in before this comes out, Teddy. Don't say anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for thanks for introducing us to Jorge. By the way, we had him on the show. It was a huge hit. I mean, him and Teddy got along famous fabulously it was awesome to meet him I, I can't thank you enough for putting us in contact my pleasure man i knew you guys would get along he's a he's a guy who's finally like this guy has been a you know he, he's he's well spoken he's fun to watch there's something about his character that kind of draws you in and makes you want to see more and he's been like that for years and years and i'm just so happy to see him 
finally get the push and for, for the fan base and the company to finally recognize the guy's value because man, he's an incredible fighter, a funny guy, a hard worker, you know, it, it's good things are happening to good people for sure. And, and uh, George is one of those men. Yeah. Well, listen, I want to be sensitive to your time. I know you're on vacation. Really appreciate it. Teddy, you got anything else before we say goodbye to Dustin? Yeah, just tell your wife and child, again, your daughter, thank you. And sorry for keeping you off the beach um, where you really should be uh, <laughs> instead of with two guys like me and Ken. But we appreciate you. We appreciate you uh, not just for what you do in the ring, but for what you do outside the ring. So thank you. And thank you, man. And thanks for everything you do as well. You're a legend. I always have time to speak to you guys. Thank you for, for the opportunity. Thank you, Dustin. Thanks, Dustin. I just want to remind everyone, please check out thegoodfightgroup.com, thegoodfightgroup.com, and you can see all the good things that uh, Dustin and his crew down in Lafayette are doing for the people down there. And um, Dustin, thank you very much for doing this. Really appreciate you. I hope the fans enjoy it. Um, and thanks everyone for listening. Thank you for the support, Teddy. Thanks for doing. And one this. other, one other thing, one last thing, Dustin. You still there? Yes, sir. Yeah. Move after your last punch. <laughs> you got it. You got it. <laughs> All right. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Dustin. Awesome, man. Dustin, thanks a lot, man. That was excellent. Awesome. Thank you. It's an honor, man. I... Yeah.